How's everyone doing? Uh, if you want to follow along in your Bibles or the scripture might be on the screen, I think. No, just kidding. If you want to follow in your Bibles or just listen, um, we'll be in Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found, found it, just as was told to them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all of the miracles they have seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will quiet, cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Good morning. We, uh, friends, we've made it. If you've been with us at any point in this Lenten journey, Lent is a season in the, uh, the history of the church that prepares us for Easter. It's 40 days, um, 40 days minus um, uh, uh, Sundays, and uh, 40 days sort of pulling from this wilderness journey that Jesus went on where he fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. And uh, <coughs> we've been making our way to um, Jerusalem. So this is the journey that we've followed along um, where we uh, started in uh, Galilee and kind of made our way to Samaria where Jesus was rejected. And then we, we looked at a couple verses where he was wandering through villages. And then last week we looked at his stop in Jericho with two stories of Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus. And we are finally at the threshold of Jerusalem. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Friends, this entire passage, uh, this entire section of Scripture in Luke, starting in Luke chapter 9, 
all the way to this point uh, is about Jesus making it to Jerusalem. So do not be disappointed. His entrance into Jerusalem is a big deal, and they spend a lot of time framing that entrance into Jerusalem. We're going to look at it. It was read for us earlier, um, and we're going to look at it in detail. Before we do, just a couple of thoughts. Um, language and uh, sayings, the things we say, they, they matter because of the, the time and place we say them. They matter because of the culture we're a part of, the, the various connotations that come with things. So it is possible to say very short phrases that have an immense amount of meaning. Okay, I'll give you two examples. The first one would be, let's just say that I'm talking about the future of our church, and um, we're talking about future vision, we're talking about what, what's, what's going to be different, what's going to be better, and if I said after this big dramatic speech about the future of a church that, that we are going to make church great again, you would probably know or feel like I was saying more than just simply things are going to get better, right? That there's like this bigger connotation with that phrase, correct? Like, is everyone on the same page? You know what I'm talking about? So another example from the other side of the political spectrum. Um, let's say I tell a story about a, a young girl, and, and she uh, has all these barriers in life, and she's pushing through, and she's figuring it out. And after this dramatic pause at the end of the story, I said, and yet she persisted. Anyone know? that I would be saying more than just the fact that this person carried on. Anyone familiar with that phrase and what it means in our, in our culture? A few of you. What we say, it could be a simple phrase, but in, in a particular context, it can mean a lot more. I want to look at three phrases today that Jesus says. One of them is in our scripture reading. And the other two are in the verses following it. So a little bit of a cliffhanger for you. You didn't get to hear it yet. You can always look ahead, but I don't recommend it. Stay with us on the journey. You know, don't cheat. But the phrases are this. Anyway, I'm going to tell you anyways. The, the phrases are, one, the stones will cry out. Okay? Random phrase. He says it actually has a significant amount of meaning if you understood the audience in the time. The stones will cry out. So hold on to that one. Second one, um, he talks about the temple should be a house of prayer. And I'm going to suggest that he means more than just to be a place where people pray, that he's, he, it's a phrase that has deeper meaning. And then the, one, the next one is right after that. He says, instead, our, the temple has become a den of robbers. And I'm going to suggest to you, if you understood the context, that he means more than just a bunch of thieves are hanging out at the temple, okay? So those are the three phrases. We're going to get to those. We've got to look at some scripture before we get to those. But we're going to look at the stones will cry out, house of prayer, and den of robbers. To do that, we've got to look at, some, uh, look at this passage. So we're going to be Luke 19. Um, I'm going to uh, try to breeze through the introductory stuff as quick as we can so we can get to some of this other the, the things I just talked about. But we'll start with verse 28, and it says this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And you went up to Jerusalem because uh, not because it was north from where he was at, but because it was in higher elevation. So he always went up to uh, Jerusalem. And uh, as he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill he called Mount of Olives, and then he goes on. But before we do, I'll give you a little bit of context here. Um, this is a map of Jerusalem during the time of Jesus. And you, uh, I'm going to do something a little different today, and hopefully it's not too distracting and I don't mess it up. It went okay the first time, so let's see how it goes. Um, but here is the, the Temple Mount, okay? This is where Jesus is at right now. He's looking out. He's a hill. There's a valley, and then you got the Temple Mount. Um, this would have been kind of old Jerusalem, and this area right here, um, were, were, uh, there were some remains of palaces and stuff. So this is kind of like old money. 
you know, it's old Jerusalem. They refurbish the houses. They, you know, you can imagine the neighborhood. This over here is like the suburbs, a little bit wealthier. This particular building right here, if you can see it, that's Herod's palace. So, I mean, that's like real nice. That's new money, not always Jews. So you've got the Jews and their palaces in old Jerusalem. You've got the temple, and you've got this new money, and you've got Jesus. So um, a number of years ago, Alyssa and I had a chance to go to Jerusalem and, and to the Holy Land in general. When I went, I was like, this is going to be great. It's going to give me so many sermon illustrations. But to be honest with you, it always feels kind of like arrogant. I mean, you know, like, hey, let me show you about my pilgrimage to the Holy Land. So let me show you um, some pictures here. The first one is we're on the, the, the Mount of Olives. So you can kind of get a, a picture here. There's the camera, the arrow. You can get an idea of where it's at on the map, and that's looking at... Um, uh, uh, modern-day Jerusalem, so it looked different. Right now, this, if you can see it, this right here would be the Temple Mount. Um, the, back in the time when Jesus was, it, it was different. It's been destroyed and built back up. We're going to talk about that at the end of the sermon. So it actually probably would have been a little smaller, more like this. This would have been old Jerusalem, and back here, you know, you got the suburbs. And this is Joe and Alyssa. So, yeah, that's fun. Um, so... Um, that's the picture. You, you can kind of get an idea. This is where Jesus is at. He, he's, he's been traveling, meandering, not a, not a direct route. He, he kind of is working through villages. He eventually comes down. He gets up on the Mount of Olives, and he, you can see Jerusalem. The crowds have gathered because from Jerusalem, they've heard he was coming, and then also he was bringing a crowd with him. He gathered a bunch of people in Jericho. There was a procession that went all the way to Jericho, which was the next town over because when he walked through Jericho and Zacchaeus, there was such a crowd. He had to get up on the tree. And you remember the song and all of that. So um, he's on the Mount of Olives. He's looking over Jerusalem. And this is what he says to his disciples. He says, um, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he, was, uh, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. Um, this Sunday in the history of the church is known as, anyone? Palm Sunday. Usually you'd have little palm branches. We didn't have any today because we're reading Luke, and Luke cuts it out. Actually, I just forgot to order them. But um, uh, Luke does cut him out, which is interesting. But he, he, he says, he, Jesus sends his disciples ahead, tells them there's going to be a donkey, tells them what the donkey's going to look like, tell, tells them that, that they are going to be able to get it, tells them what to say. It's meant to suggest that Jesus has some kind of like sovereignty over how the world works, right? And more than that, he is, he is entering into Jerusalem on a donkey um, for, for a particular reason. There's this Old Testament prophecy um, that has to do with the Messiah entering uh, on a donkey, and this is what it has to say. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and Victoria is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The donkey uh, was really, in, in, in ancient culture, this representation of not only humility but peace. See, if you were going to go to war and inspire the troops, you'd get up on your high horse which is still a phrase we use, isn't it? 
See, we use it the other way around. We say, get off your high horse. But it was that, it, that's, that's the idea. Like, you would get on the mightiest steed, and you would be marching in an armor and all this sort of stuff. But if you weren't going to war, and, and either because you were victorious or because you were declaring a time of peace, you wouldn't be on that. You would enter in on something more humble because it represented there wasn't a need for fighting. And so Jesus, he's doing this. He's riding on a donkey because he's come to declare this season of peace. He's come to bring peace. In fact, this is what he goes on to say in Zechariah. It says, he will, this king, will cut off the chariot uh, and the war horse and the battle bow. In other words, these tools that we use for war, the tanks and the artillery and uh, the, you know, the air, like all of these tools for war, he's going he's gonna to shut those down. And it's not because he isn't king. It's not because he's some sort of pacifist, anarchist, you know, we're just not going to be, have, no, it's because he is king. He is going to be a commander still, but instead of commanding armies, he's going to command what? Peace. Hebrew word is shalom. It means more than just an absence of conflict. It means things are as they should be. Those who are hungry are fed. Those who are thirsty get water. Those who are naked get clothes. Young mothers who can't afford it get diapers. Shalom. Things are as it should be. And this future king, this Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament of Zechariah is going to be this kind of king. He's going to enter on a donkey as a commander of peace and come into Jerusalem. So here's what happens. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus is riding in on this donkey and people start singing praises, you know, chanting um, and what's interesting is they're quoting a book from, they're quoting a verse from the book of Psalms. It's actually a psalm people would sing when they were making their way to Jerusalem, interestingly enough. Um, it's a, a psalm that kind of like was that entrance into Jerusalem. And they're quoting it, but they're actually misquoting it. Because the psalm actually, it, the psalm says this, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they're saying is blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You're meant to, with this donkey picture and with this psalm reference, you're, you're, and the addition that they add, which I don't know if they're allowed to add to the scripture. I don't know what they're doing there. But the, the point is, is you are not supposed to walk away with any shadow of doubt that Jesus entering Jerusalem is not a random prophet or anything else, that Jesus is king. King. And he's come to establish a kingdom. And anything that doesn't line up with that kingdom is at odds with who Jesus is and with the kingdom that he's come to form. All right, so that's, that's the entire setup. And everything that he says, those three phrases, are built on and only have any significance because Jesus is king. Okay, that's where we start. So look what happens next. Verse 39. So the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, the Pharisees got it. They understood they understood that what they were saying about Jesus was very bold, and, and they thought too bold. And they said, tell your disciples to shut up. You know, what the, are you doing? And, and this is what Jesus says. It's our first phrase. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. 
Whenever, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Whenever it was introduced to this verse, I don't know at what age, but I, I could develop this idea, and I think this is a fairly common teaching, that if, if we as, as humans who, who are created in God's image, if we choose not to give God praise, if we choose not to worship God, then creation will, even if it can't, like even stones will worship God. Um, that's a pretty standard teaching. In my sort of crazy mind at a young age, I, I developed this idea that, that it would be technically possible, like it would literally possible that if, if there was a, ever a moment in the history of the world, like right now, if there was a moment where all six billion people, none of them were giving praise to God, that we would actually hear rocks making sounds. Like that was an idea that I had. That's not what's going on here. Jesus is saying even the stones will cry out. It's that one of those phrases. He's actually quoting this very popular book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. Have you guys read that one recently in your devotions? Yeah? We had, is there anyone who has read it? There was a few last, last service. Yeah, they, see, there's always a few. No Habakkuk. You can, get, you, can get, you can check it out. It is in most versions of the Bible, not New Testament versions, okay? Because uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's a very short book. I'll tell you what it's about. Just like uh, what Jesus is going to say in a moment, the prophet is telling the people that, uh, speaking on behalf of God and says, hey, hey guys, you, your lives have become so corrupt. You, your behavior, you claim to be people of God, but your behavior has become so corrupt, you become so self-centered and greedy, and you're, you're killing innocent people, and you're waging war, not, not shalom, not peace, and you're exploiting the poor, and you're exploiting the widows. He says that I, you become so bad that you won't even believe what I'm going to do. God says, I'm going to use the Babylonians who kill everybody, and I'm going to send them over your way because you can't continue doing this. That's what, that's what he says. And then he goes into these little, in chapter 2, he goes into these little, these little sections where he says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, of the specific issues that he's saying, you need to get this figured out. And one of them has to do with these entire class of people who were building houses. Here's what he has to say to them. He says, woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. In other words, that person, that group of people who cheat, lie, steal, exploit, um, uh, leverage the, the working class, uh, maybe have slaves, they're using unjust gain to build houses that are real nice up in the, you know, the nice part of town, up in the big hill, so that they can avoid the problems in life, right? That's what he's saying in that first verse. So, but they've done it by cheating and by lying, by stealing, by, you know, like... Un- Unjust means. And he says, you have plotted the ruin of many people. He said, you're one of the reasons why you can't continue. The people of God can't continue. I have to shut you down because you you are part of the problem. So now I have to shut you down. And he says, you have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. He says... uh, the very stones that you use to build your house are a testimony against you because the way in which you got those stones, the labor that you forced on people to cut them probably for no pay or for little pay, like all of the circumstances in regard to how they built this house 
And he goes on and talking about the city in general, so the entire, and even in the temple. Like the way in which you've done this and the way in which you've inquired these things are so unjust that, they are a t- that the very stones of your house and the woodwork of your house are a testimony against you. When Jesus says even the stones will cry out, this is what he's quoting. This is what he's referencing. Remember, Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives, looking out over the temple and looking out over the, the palaces and, the, and, and Jerusalem. And he tells us exactly what he means because he goes on. He says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. The Bible tells us of two places where Jesus cried. One is when his friend died, Lazarus, and one is here when he's looking at Jerusalem. He sees Jerusalem. He sees the temple and what it's become. He sees the, the he sees, and he's, he's saying that it's this. this he quotes this because he's saying this is what's going on. It was going on during the Habakkuk, but it was going on during the time of Jesus. He says this is what's going on, and, and it just broke his heart to know that that's what's going on. And he goes on and he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Oh, friends, this is the cry of God's heart. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you have come from. It doesn't matter of who you have oppressed or how you've been oppressed. It doesn't matter. If you only knew today what would bring you peace. It's available right now. You can, you can change. You can live differently. You can be forgiven. You can, like if you only knew, but, but he says, but now it is hidden from your eyes. They can't see it. They can't see it. So this is what's going to happen. See, in the Old Testament, and Jesus is pulling on this, there was this very clear connection between the behavior of the people of God and whether they could stay in the land of, that God promised them. And this is a dangerous theology, friends. This gets into some really muddy water because what he's saying is that we tend to think, and I think we tend to teach, is that God's promises are that they're always good. They're, they're totally available. And what the Old Testament teaches and what Jesus is going to say here is like, yes, some promises always available, but there are promises like the promised land that they were given that, you know what, are a little conditional. That if you abuse it and you, you, you exploit it, and it's not going to be, a, it's not, the promise isn't good anymore. And he goes on, this is what he says. He says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and circle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus entering as the commander of peace, they will reject him in Jerusalem. He will be hung on a cross, die, be buried, rose again. We're going to celebrate that next week. Later, after Jesus is off the scene, other messiahs, other leaders, other people who claim to be king of the Jews will come. And they will not teach the way of Jesus, of loving your enemy, feeding the poor, clothing the naked. They're not going to teach that. What they're going to teach is, hey, the Romans are oppressing us. Let's fight back. This is history. This is what they do. So they do. They kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. They kill a bunch of them. Rome, being a rather large empire, decides to make an example of them. This is just, this is just history, friends. You can look it up. Um, in 70 AD, Rome comes to Jerusalem, sieges Jerusalem, and eventually demolishes it. Jesus says, not one stone will be left on another. If only they would known the way of peace that Jesus came to teach, that could have been avoided, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't do it. They would eventually follow another Messiah, and Rome would destroy them. Here's the thing. You can go to um, Jerusalem, 
And uh, you can see the, the stones that, that Jesus spoke of. Here's, um, when we were there, we were able to go into one. And um, if you look at this photo, uh, you see the wall. That, that was built up later. That's, that's a newer wall. Not, not, it's pretty old, but it was newer than the time of Jesus. The stones that sit in the rubble, these stones right here, would have been from that original wall. Not one was left upon the other. Friends, the stones still cry out as a testimony that the temple and the people of Israel had failed to be who God had called them to be. They're still there. They still speak. You look at them and you're like, wow, there used to be a wall, and it's not anymore. It's been destroyed. They still cry out. The question becomes that we have to ask ourselves and we have to ask the text is what in the world were they doing wrong that would result in nothing but rubble and ruin? What do they do to that, that promise, to have the promised land? What, what, how bad would it have to have gotten for God to say, okay, no, we're going to let Rome, just like we let the Babylonians, we're going to let Rome come and, and, and sack you. What were they doing? We don't have to guess. Jesus tells us. The very next verse, Jesus is in Jerusalem. The first thing he does is go into the temple, and he's not very nice about it. He overturns a bunch of tables. One passage has him uh, wielding a whip. I don't know if you, that's not a Sunday school picture of Jesus you see in churches, but that's one of the versions of the story. He's turning tables over, he's got a whip, and he's, he, he is throwing the merchants out of the temple because this is what's going on. I know this is a lot of history. I'm sorry, friends, but this is just, uh, I'm not that sorry. He, during this time of the temple, Old Testament law said you had to do these sacrifices. And the sacrifices should be the, if you're going to sacrifice a lamb or a pigeon or, you know, a dove, or whatever you're going to sacrifice, it should be the best of the best. It should have no blemishes. Well, they took that to say, hey, we, we the temple, should control whether something has blemishes. And so this, this market began to pop up in, in the temple. And, and so the, now the only place you could buy non-blemished sheep was at the temple. So it was like buying a hamburger at Cedar Point. Significantly more expensive than at McDonald's because they, they could rack up the prices. And people were traveling from all over Israel to go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices for their family, etc. And so they racked up the prices. It become an enterprise. It had become about the money and what they could make and the exchanging of it. And it then excluded, oftentimes, a variety of people. Eunuchs, foreigners couldn't participate. People who couldn't afford it couldn't. I mean, it excluded all of these people. So Jesus looks at that. He overturns the tables and he says to them, my, my, this place should be a house of prayer, the second phrase, but it has become a den of robbers. And here, once again, he's saying more than this, than this should just be a house of prayer. He's saying that it, um, uh, he's quoting a passage from the Old Testament. Some of you who follow along the day of reading heard this already. It's this verses, a set of verses out of Isaiah 56. This is what he says. Friends, to answer the question, what did they do that was so bad that they had to be shut down? This is the answer. It's a little complicated. I'll try to unpack it. He says, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. He's talking about two groups of people, both excluded from temple worship. Foreigners, people who weren't Jews, and eunuchs. Eunuchs, 
for a variety of reasons, couldn't have kids. Um, it might have been because they, they were single, and so they just people assumed that they were eunuchs. It also could have been because they were in a royal family, and to protect the royal family from sexual misconduct, they would make someone a eunuch. Or it could be that they were just born that way. But eunuchs were this sort of class of people that you typically knew because you weren't married with kids, and so it was pretty obvious that you were a eunuch um, because everyone else was. You were, it was kind of like it wasn't your choice. You were, it was traded, families traded, you know, husband and wife, you know, that sort of thing. And um, so eunuchs were pretty obvious, and they were second-class citizens and also couldn't participate in worship. And then foreigners, of course, were anyone that wasn't a Jew who also was considered a second-class citizen because Jews were a very nationalistic religion. This is what he has to say to the, the, to the foreigners and to the eunuchs. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. In other words, to the eunuchs who actually want to follow God, to them I will give them my, within my temple and its walls a memorial, memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. This is so beautiful if you think about it. Here's somebody who, for whatever reason, couldn't have kids. either forced upon them, born that way, remaining single, whatever. Um, and kids were everything. Kids were your legacy. God says to you who feel excluded, who feel like you have no legacy, who feel like the people have pushed you aside, I'll give you a name that's worth more than sons and daughters. And then he goes on and talks about the foreigners. And the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and minister to, to him and to, lo- and to love the name of the Lord and to his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant. Once again, the foreigners who actually want to follow God, he says this, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He says to the foreigner who wants to follow God, they're not, they shouldn't be excluded from temple worship. They shouldn't be excluded. And the eunuch who wants to follow God, they shouldn't be excluded. And so when Jesus says, my, my house, my temple is meant to be a house of prayer, what he's actually saying, the bigger picture that he's pulling from is, he's saying it should be a house of prayer for all nations. It could also be translated for all people. And in the context, I would add specifically those who typically get pushed aside, left out, treated as second-class citizens, marginalized. That's what the temple, the people of God, was meant to be a safe place for people who typically push them aside. But he says, instead, it's become a den of robbers. Here's what he means by that. He's quoting from Jeremiah. It says this. This is what the uh, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Once again, it's that theology that if you change your ways, then you can have the promised land. But if you don't, then you're going to be in trouble. So he goes on and he says, if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not, what, oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever He goes on, he says, but look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow the gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe, safe to do all of these detestable things? He's saying, you can't just go live your life however you want, exploit people, hurt people, shed innocent blood, not care for the fathers, not care for the widows. You can't do that and then show up to temple and be like, well, we're God's chosen people. He says, because 
Um, Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? Have I been watching? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. He says, "My, my temple is meant to be a house of prayer for all people. But it had become a hangout for all the people who are exploiting all of those other people. So it's meant to be this safe place for the mother, the single mom who's living below poverty, who's been you know, left by her husband or her husband's passed away. But instead, it's just this hangout place for the corrupt developer who owns her house. It's meant to be this place for the refugee and for the foreigner. And instead, it's become like the hangout place for the political activists who'd like to kick them out of the country. All right, that's, that's what it's become. It's meant to be this place for the fatherless, for the person who's an orphan, for that little kid who has no father. And, but instead, it's the place where the soldiers and the, militia, the local militia and all these people who probably made him a fatherless get to hang out. It's meant to be a place for the eunuch, for the person who, because of their sexual history and all this, should be safe and be able to come and that God would give them a new, a new future. But instead, it's the place that tend to look down on them and marginalize them. He says, it's meant to be this house of prayer for all people, but instead, it has become a den of robbers. That was the problem back then. That's not the problem anymore, I wouldn't say. I mean, that doesn't happen today. Does it? We're kind of a strange little church. We, uh, we have worship, um, small groups, you know, typical contemporary church plant. Um, but we also kind of operate as a, as a nonprofit. Uh, we have a, what you might call community development. We, we launched this free store. We're, we're actually beginning to partner with the ministry to do some homeless outreach. We're uh, we apply for grants that nonprofits would. We're kind of a weird thing, and you know, kind of honestly, there's people who've been kind of confused about like, are you a church? Are you a nonprofit? Like, you're in different neighborhoods. What, what's going on? Um, it doesn't always make sense. Maybe it's a little confusing. People don't get it. Uh, I'll be completely honest with you. It doesn't always make sense to me, and I, sometimes it's confusing, and I don't always get it. But I will say this: it's 100% intentional. Because I have no desire to be a part of a church that simply gathers people. I have to be a part of a church that's engaged in the ministry that Jesus calls, because here's the thing, Jesus is king. I don't got, I don't got a choice in this. Jesus says, feed the poor, give water to the thirsty, clothe the naked, welcome the foreigner, visit those in prison, visit those who are sick, give diapers to those who need it. Jesus didn't say that. They used, you know, they used cloth ones back then, I'm assuming, so that's probably our real problem. I'm going to invite the band to come up uh, and get ready. When Jesus, um, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray as king of our lives, he, he said specifically, ask this, ask this of Father. He said, you know, Father, your will be done, your kingdom come. That, that one of the prayers we should have is this invitation that God's kingdom would be built here. And, and I want to just say this, that if, if you are building something with stones that are built around greed or wealth or, you know, because you, your own selfish interests or because, while exploiting other if you're building stones that do anything other than build the kingdom of God, friends, it has an expiration date. 
That, that the only thing that has eternal value is the kingdom of God and what God is doing amongst people. And that's one of the things Jesus says, kingdom of God is like a table. The kingdom of God is like friends. It's kind of, kingdom of God is community. And if you're building something that isn't the kingdom of God, it's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily evil. It just, it has an expiration date. I don't care how nice your house is. It ain't going to last forever. You can be built of the nicest stones in the world, and there'll eventually be one on top of the other in ruins somewhere. But if you're investing in the kingdom of God, it has lasted over 2,000 years. And so my challenge for you is to think about that. What stones are you building your life with? And are those stones that would witness against you? Are those stones that would say, hey, your priorities are in the wrong place? Or are they stones that help build the kingdom of God? Let's pray. God, as king, we do want to bow before you and give our lives to you. And so we come before you and we pray just as you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Please stand with us.